I, uh, real life is not just a preaching series that we're going through as Willow Park Church in all of our communities and all of our congregations. And all of our pastors are preaching uh, the same across our network. It is the board's vision that we're actually preaching. It is the vision laid out by the board of elders in our church that what we're about as a church, if you go, well, what is Willow Park Church is about? It's about real life. And it starts with the fact that when you meet Jesus Christ, your life is transformed and you begin a real life because Christ is the only way. Amen? And so we want to tell that to Kelowna, whether it's in our South community, whether it's in Glenmore, whether it's in Lake Country, whether it's here and in pursuit, we want to keep declaring the good news of the gospel. We are good news people. If you missed last week, and um, you can go online and listen to it, you'll remember that I talked about the whole idea of being redeemed, is, is this, this idea, real life part two saved, is this idea that there is no therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That word condemnation in the Greek is a legal term that something legally happens that we go from being condemned to legally being pardoned by the blood of Jesus. That we've been a people that have been pardoned. And, and this message is key. And therefore, we're good news people. We are not bad news people, okay? We are good news people because Christ wants to save the world. He wants to reach out to the world. We're good news people. So can I encourage you not to act like a bad news person, but be a good news person. Be a person who's got a smile on their face. Be a person that you are different because Jesus Christ reigns in your life. And, and we've, got to, we've got to break this idea that being a Christian is somehow a miserable experience. That being a Christian is somehow like going to the dentist. And, and, and somehow we're in the dentist waiting room when we come to church. No, we are God's children and we'll be talking about that today. And of course, uh, we realize the chaos that exists in the world. And this is all rooted in what we call, of course, the fall. The moment when humanity, Adam and Eve, rejected God's purposes and will. And what happened? We went from the beauty of the garden and we went into the days of chaos. And that's a very good picture to understand what sin does in a family, in a person, and in an individual's life. What it actually does, it creates chaos in our lives. And we meet lots of people whose lives are chaotic. They're out of control. They're in pain. They're struggling. It's as if they've got no rudder on their ship and no compass in their heart. But we are a people that declare... The reality that God brings that rudder. He brings that compass. You're not here, you're not here by mistake. Um, we're not created as human beings because somehow God was bored. No, no. We are created because out of his richness, out of his glorious um, uh, majesty, we are God's artistry. We are God's, God's, God's people who God loves so much and, and cares for us. You are not an accident at all. You're truly not. You are here because, 
because you are loved by the Father. Because the Father wants to take our chaotic lives and he wants to bring that order. We are legally no longer condemned, but we are forgiven because of the love of Jesus. And so as we understand that, we know that our position, which was the position in the garden originally, is that we have to live in submission and obedience to God in our lives. So many of these truths are uh, foundational to Christianity. And as we move in and, t- and leave uh, Redeem Life, and next week I'll be talking about empowered life, the active life, and the listening life, as we work our way through these areas of key Christian engagement and why we're here as a church, uh, we want to talk about the power of being saved. Now, for some of you, you know all of this. But let me tell you something. I'm going to preach what is the gospel. And I want you to understand that we can never tire of hearing the power of the gospel. In fact, I think in our churches today, we have forgotten the power of the gospel. And we've got to get up in the morning and we've got to be gospel people. And sometimes I've got to look in the mirror and I've just got to preach the gospel to myself. Did you like that? Preach. I just, you know, because... It's not that I need to get saved again, although sometimes I feel like I do on a Monday morning. Uh, but it's, it's, that, it's that I need to remind myself of the great privilege and the knowledge that I have experienced the greatest gift ever. I am saved. I am saved. And you and I will help you in your life if you keep remembering and knowing that we are a saved people. That we have been saved through the wonderful love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we understand this. So as we move into our teaching, I first of all want to talk about the beautiful exchange. And, And this is what theologians have called through the ages a beautiful exchange. And it is the most remarkable exchange under heaven and earth. It is a mystery to the angels, but it is a beautiful exchange. It's the exchange I experienced in my life. It's the exchange that completely changed my life from top to bottom. And it's the exchange, if you'll let it, that will completely change your life from top to bottom as well. And we can understand this. And what is this exchange that is so important that we keep sharing and we keep preaching? Well, it's this. The beautiful exchange in 2 Corinthians 5.21 says... For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is beautiful. I love this. Maybe you don't understand the full implication of this glorious verse. But this first thing he says, for our sake, he made him. This was For our sake, God allowed and made Jesus to do something incredible, remarkable, which has changed the course of history and is the most important event in all time. It's that the Son of God was made sin so that sinners like you and I can be utterly forgiven. That's incredible. It is the beautiful exchange that he just... Now, let me just explain something to you. He wasn't... He didn't... Jesus was made sin, but Jesus was not made a sinner. 
And that's important. Because sometimes we think, you know, well, how does this work? No, Jesus, the perfect Son of God, the perfect human being, the gift of God from eternity, from heaven himself, he, he took on. He was made sin, but he's not a sinner. He took on the sin and the pain and the agony and the rebellion of humanity upon himself and there died upon the cross so that we can take on what? We can take on his forgiveness, his righteousness, his goodness. It is what we call the great exchange. And it's something that must encourage us. It's something that, that has to encourage our hearts and excite us because, because it comes to us by great revelation, the great exchange. I, I was lost. I was uncertain of the reason why I existed. I was caught in habits that were holding me back and, de- and things I was dependent on that were wrecking lives, wrecking relationships. I was, I was given over to fits of rage and anger. I was given over to, to lying and deceit and all of this nonsense in my humanity humanity of my fallen space, God came and he exchanged my sinfulness for Christ's character and Christ's righteousness. That's what happens. It's the beautiful exchange that takes place. For, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our unrighteousness was exchanged for his glorious righteousness. Oh, you are righteous. I know mean, you don't feel like it, you, but we are. You are a righteous person. You are, 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 are forgiven. And we understand this. And so as we uh, see this, so let's explain it this way. Jesus Christ traded places with me, living the perfect life I should have lived, and dying the death I had been condemned to die. Can I talk about sin for a few minutes? And you said, I've come to church, I want to be cheered up. I don't, I don't want to talk about sin. As a church... And as, a, um, as, as Willow Park Church, I have to be honest, we are not afraid about talking about sin. Often in the 21st century in church life, we realize that sin is not talked about. And I want to talk to you about sin and the fact that Christ was the sacrifice for the sins of the world. Now, you may be new to Christianity, so it's difficult to understand It's about the reality that I am condemned to death, but Christ has took my place. There's a story from the American Civil War. And you may have read these kind of stories, but it illustrates the fact that as even towns and villages in the American Civil War were split in half and they were fighting against each other, families were split in half. And there was one particular time when the... um, because the Union and the Confederates uh, were fighting each other, and the Union had, had, had gathered a group of Confederate fighters together, and they were going to be executed. And as they lined them up to be executed, a young Union 
uh, young man looked along the line and he saw somebody from his own hamlet, from his own town. He knew the man, that the man was was a family man, had children and had, had, had a life. He had a career. He was, he was a local blacksmith. And he looked at him and he, he, he turned to the officer and he said to the officer, Sir, I can't, we can't shoot this man, but he's condemned. No, but we can't. I know him. Uh, can't you pardon him? And, and the officer looks at him and says, absolutely not. He said, well, can I suggest one thing then? That I go into that line and take his place and you set him free to go back to his family. What are you saying? Well, actually what I'm saying is that, that I am willing to die in that man's place because I know that man, I love that man, I know his family and it's not right and I'm willing to take his place. And unbelievably the officer agreed, the young Unionist soldier went and stood in the line and died and the man went free. We've heard stories like this that, that, that somebody takes your place when you are condemned. And that is exactly what is going on in the gospel. That Christ is not guilty, is not condemned, but he takes our place. We are guilty of our sin. We are guilty of our shame. We have committed sin within our life. And a holy God cannot look upon this. And yet Jesus Christ came to die upon the cross so that we need never die. That's the gospel. And then let me say, when we talk about the vision of this church, uh, this vision of this church is that we want to proclaim the good news of God's saving grace to the whole of Kelowna. That we want to give as many opportunities and many entry points for people to enter faith as possible. We are committed to winning people to Jesus Christ relentlessly because the world is heading towards judgment and the church is called to lift up the gospel banner and declare that there is somebody in heaven who has died in your place and it is good news. That's the truth. So be no doubt about what we are as a church. We are a church that want to grab people who are heading towards disaster. We're a church that understands the issue of man's sinfulness and the need for a saviour. So let me explain. I'll give you a bit of a biblical tour of how sin is explained in Scripture. Um, well, first of all, in the ancient world, the very idea amongst the Greeks, the Romans, uh, the, the Persians, the Eastern peoples, the very idea of individual sin, that is that we are all guilty and separated from God and blinded by, by sin, is a weird concept to them. It's unique to the Christian Hebrew thinking. So, so you, 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 the ancient gods of Greece and, and, and Persia uh, were more like kind of playboy gods who ran around creating havoc and problems and wars and battles like Troy and the ancient myths and the odysseys. It's just, it's just kind of uh, uh, these kind of mad playboy gods when you read the classics of what they do. And yet there in the middle of the ancient world, you have a little group of people that take seriously the issue of personal failing and sin. Why? 
because God put it in their hearts. So how do we understand sin? Well, perhaps one way Scripture teaches, first of all, is that sin is described as we never, we do not come up to the standard. There's a certain standard and humanity has fallen from that standard and we cannot reach that standard. That's one way of looking at it. Another way is that we've missed the mark. In other words, there is like an archer goes towards a, um, uh, a target, shoots the target and misses the target. We, we miss the target. Uh, another way of, of looking at sin uh, through the Hebrew and Christian thinking is that we are expected to fulfill a certain duty and fulfill a certain um, um, acts and be a certain way, but we fail to achieve our duty in our life. Three aspects of sin. Another aspect is that God has set limits and we as human beings need to uh, adhere to these limits, these boundaries. And yet humanity has stepped out of these boundaries and we found ourselves in the wilderness. We are lost in our own self, putting ourselves as number one, as the lords of our own lives. Uh, words and ideas like lawlessness, that we are on the run from God. Ideas like transgression of sin are, are, are used. That we are, are, are kind of spiritual renegades that have been lost in a lawlessness and we are dying in our own rebellion against God and the actions human beings create against each other and we need to be brought back into how God intended us to be and to be created. The prophet Hosea puts it this way. He says that sin is like being adulterous and unfaithful to the living God. The gospel writer of Matthew puts it this way. That sin is a debt that is unpayable and we cannot pay it. We are bankrupt. We are laden with debt. And yet what happens is that Christ comes and pays our debt and we become free people again. But it's not just a religious concept, friends. Because it's not just a kind of spiritual religious concept about sin. Because what the Bible teaches in the Hebrew Christian tradition through the whole of the Bible is that sin affects not only us spiritually in our separation with God, sin affects us relationally with others, and sin also affects our towns and our nations. Do you think Burlington this morning and what has taken place will not feel the effects of one of the great commandments being broken and the pain of that? When we look at the news this morning and look at the, the, the mall where all of us, no doubt, have shopped in Macy's there. And we know that the crime that was committed that day in that way, for whatever reason, we don't know yet. But that reality is that that sin not only affects our relationship with God, but when we allow sin to grab our lives, it pollutes and affects our towns, our malls, our society our families. Sin is the enemy of humanity and the only solution is Jesus Christ. When somebody gets murdered in Kelowna, that is a sin, but it also affects the community. In fact, the very blood of the ground cries out, my friends. 
When politicians are corrupt and they're taking and they're greeding and they're, they are full of lying, it not only is about them, but it affects society. Sin is not only the enemy of your soul, sin is the enemy of humanity and sin's toxic pollution power wrecks lives, wrecks cities, wrecks nations and has wrecked this world. But the solution is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It is God's plan that humanity should be rescued. So when we understand these realities... What do you do with this as a Bible-believing Christian? What do you do with this in your own personal walk? Well, perhaps from this sermon, you can have some helpful illustrations to explain man's fallenness to people that you're witnessing to or chatting uh, briefly with at the bus stop or, or at Starbucks or, or, or wherever you like to hang out, Costco. Um, and... That's where I like to go for lunch today. Um, (laughs) Wherever you are, it gives you that. But I want you, it may help you. And the one reason we run Encounter God, and the one reason we talk about forgiveness and, and confession, and the one reason people come and we pray with people and they confess the sin, not the story. I don't need to know the story. But they get right with God is because we know that when you deal with sin at the heart of humanity, you release the glorious presence of Christ. Christ is the antidote. Here we go with another metaphor for the power of sin. See, this is God's plan. It is God's plan of salvation for the world. It's God's idea. I cannot keep improving myself in my own power. It's, you know, I'm not a spiritual iPhone. And every so often, I I upload a new, new program and I become slightly better and more effective. I go from Windows 1 to Windows 8. And I'm being uploaded. I'm being generally improved. I can't improve myself. I am fallen. I am dead in my iniquity. I am dead in my sin. I cannot save myself. I will not reach the standard and yet he comes and takes my record of all of my wrong, of all of my failing, of all of my pain. He takes my record and he exchanges it for his record. My record is full of pain and brokenness and agony. His record is the perfect record of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. He's exchanged that. Saying, boy, you're really preaching the gospel this morning. Hey, that's so good for your soul, you know. It is good for your soul to be reminded of the gospel. And sometimes we need to preach it again to ourselves. It's like Bonhoeffer said, I had to go and find a good church in New York where they actually preached the gospel so I could be encouraged instead of just talked about nonsense and philosophy. And he ended up in a black Pentecostal church where he heard the blood of Jesus being preached and he heard the power of cross being declared. And he said it was so rich to be there. And uh, amazing. So it's good. So whenever I hear good gospel preaching, I just switch it on and I listen to it and it ministers to me. We're a real life church and real life begins with redemption. And part of the message of redemption is that Jesus took my place. He died on the cross in my place. This is what theologians call 
The theological term is it's called the gift of righteousness. So it is a gift of righteousness. And so this term is used that we cannot achieve the righteousness, but it is a gift that exists. And it is part of this idea that Jesus Christ traded places with me, living the perfect life I should have lived, and dying the death I had been condemned to die. This is the great exchange. So, humbly, can I encourage you to take your sins seriously and live with a knowledge of the vastness of what God has achieved in the great plan of salvation. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. It's in him, not in me. In him, in him that I know. It's this idea as well that we are a, we're a chosen people. Do you know salvation, the fact that you have received salvation, you cannot take it for granted. We are the most blessed, most fortunate, most unique individuals on the planet because you have been saved by the blood of Jesus. You've been called by the grace of God. And the problem is that sometimes we take our Christianity for granted and we forget. I mean, it's a, um, for the sake of time, we haven't got time to read all of this, but blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Uh, Amazing that we were chosen. You, if you believe in Jesus and Jesus is your savior, you are a chosen person. It may help you to know that. Because sometimes you think you kind of made a decision for yourself and fell into this Christianity stuff. Or you were born into a nice family in a glorious place where they love Jesus like Saskatchewan. And you were raised there and because and, that's where God really works. And, and, and you emigrated to Kelowna and you ended up in Willow Park Church. But really, you know, you were raised, you're a fifth generation Christian and you came from Europe and, and so on. And you sort of fell into this. No, 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 no. Your salvation is, is God's gift and you are chosen and loved because of it. So what does this mean? It means that maybe I need to smarten up in the way I do my Christianity. Maybe it means that I've got to stop being lukewarm, but I need to live like a chosen son and daughter of the king. Maybe it means that I've got to take sin seriously, that I have been chosen. We'll move to uh, John's... um, Verses in John 15. 
He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. That you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Oh, you're not, you're not in church because you're, you kind of fell into Christianity. Because there are plenty of people that were raised in a Christian home who have rejected it. You are here because the grace of God and faith has chosen you. That makes me get up in the morning and get on my knees that I am chosen. I'm chosen by the love of God. I am, you let me say, okay, one verse. Let me give you another verse. If you were of the world and the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You've been chosen. You look in the mirror and look at yourself and say, I'm humbled. I don't understand it. It's a mystery of God and it's a mystery to me. But God chose me as a 15-year-old and he revealed his nature to me. I didn't choose him. He pursued me. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race. Not only that, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were called out of a darkness. How would you cope without Jesus in your life? How would you cope with the pressures in your family life? How do you cope without... without, um, Without that knowledge, I prayed with somebody yesterday and, and that dear person said to me, all I want is to go home and be with Jesus. I'm ready, pastor. Now that's excellent hope. That's a chosen person knowing their salvation. Knowing that that salvation is there and that they are chosen in this. Um, and sometimes we, we forget that we are chosen. And when we think about the fact that we're chosen, it does throw up many different questions, of course. Because theologically, what this is called in theological circles, it's called that we are the elect. It's called election. That, that God has chosen us. Before the foundation of the world, and we were, we were seen, we were known for that. And, and the Apostle Paul wrote about election. He wrote about being chosen. And he actually wrote about it in three very interesting ways. When you look at his writings, number one, he wrote about being a chosen people as something that should comfort us as believers. That when we live in the power and the darkness of a Roman Empire, we know that we are chosen and that God will work all things through for good. So when you realize you're chosen, it should comfort us that God is there. The second thing is that when we realize we are a chosen people, it affects the way we pray and it affects the way we thank. It affects the way we worship. It affects the way we lift our voices because we realize that we were heading towards a Christless eternity. We were heading towards hell, but he has rescued us. We have been chosen. 
Wow. And thirdly, it was Paul's driving force for missionary call that because he wanted to go to every city in the world and preach to all the people so that those who are chosen could be called forth and the elect and he could win them for God. It didn't stop him from preaching. In fact, it made him the greatest evangelist, the greatest missionary of all time. And I think for you and I, The fact that we're chosen, the fact that you're here this morning, the fact that you've been rescued, the fact that this is the greatest gift you could have received means that as a church we've got to be a very different kind of people. We need to gather at Willow One Prayer tomorrow night here in this building and they'll be gathering in the South community as well on Monday night as as Pastor Glenn leads them into a prayer movement and as we start to, to grow, we are not only praying, we're praying that none would be lost but all would be saved. We are praying that this message of redemption would go to the world. We are chosen people. When I was in prayer just before, I was reminded of a story that make, as I draw this to a conclusion. And I hope your soul is encouraged by the preaching of the gospel. I hope you're encouraged by what Christ has done for you. There's a story that also comes from the um, Vietnam War. And it's a story of, of one of those moments when what they used to call is the, um, those, those angels, which were the helicopters that used to land on the ground. You've seen the scenes, iconic scenes. And the US soldiers would run in the 60s towards the helicopter and jump in and they would lift off and um, they would sort of escape the enemy, if you like, the Viet Cong. This one occasion, one man was, was running and he got shot in the leg and his friend jumped into the helicopter. He looked back and he saw him struggling in the ground. He, he ran down to him, uh, I guess, something about 40 feet or so and picked him up and threw him over his shoulder and carried him towards the helicopter. And as he's carrying him towards the helicopter, he throws his friend into the helicopter. And that moment, a bullet enters his head and he's killed instantly. On that alone is quite a story of a heroic moment of one comrade brother laying down his life for another to rescue him from an enemy that was going to destroy him. That soldier went back to the United States. He started wandering around the United States on the West Coast. That's where a lot of people wonder. Our weather's good. California is a good place to wander around, I guess. And he wandered around from place to place. And a hobo, um, living as a as a rough sleeper. But he'd always tell the story about the guy that saved his life in Vietnam. In the early years, nobody listened to him, but later on, as the memories became distant and the political 
tone change, people would listen to him. He'd sit there in his rags and his filth and his stench, and they'd listen to him articulate the narrative of the story. Came into one Northern Californian town. He, he knew the name. He knew the place. It bothered him for a minute. And he remembered that the guy that had thrown him into the helicopter and died in front of his eyes came from this small western town. And it was easy. You know what small towns are like. You can track people down. And he tracked down the home of his friend who had died and reached there at the house and the little picket fence and he opened the little gate. He walked up and he knocked on the door. There a... A vagrant. The door opened up and an old man opened the door. And he explained who he was. And he realised that this was this man's father. And behind the screen, the father looked at him and he looked the vagrant up and down and he pushed the screen open and he held on the shoulders of the vagrant and he said to him what have you done what have you done what would you mean what have you done my son gave his life for you so that you could live your life but you are choosing to live as a drunk and as a hobo whatever, in this vagrant way when he gave everything for you. That story is true. The man went on to get right, to clear his life up and became an articulate and powerful gospel preacher. But the story still stands for us that we live in a world where we know the Son of God has thrown us onto the helicopter. We have, got a, we have been uh, airlifted, if you like, and will be airlifted, if you like, from, from the coming days of wrath and the coming days of judgment. But, and we know that we're saved. We've received, if you like, the Willy Wonka uh, ticket to the chocolate factory. We have been chosen beyond everybody, and we are a chosen people. People, and yet we choose spiritually to live like vagabonds. Why? Why are we mediocre in our redeemed life when we should pursue the very presence of Jesus? Why are we mediocre and living a life where you know you could live it better, don't you? You know you can live for Jesus more. And you're wishing right now that you didn't come to church this morning. <laughs> Maybe you just feel, I'm sorry. I love you. But listen, don't settle for second best when Christ has done it all for you. You're chosen. Now, I could get into election predestination and talk about that. And the one thing I know, that whether you're on one side of the debate or the other, we all preach the gospel. And Willow Park is a church that welcomes many different 
aspects. But don't live like a vagrant, spiritually. Let's pray together. I thank you, Lord, that there was a day when I was dead in my sins. And it wasn't anything special I could do. It wasn't that I was clever or brighter than the rest. Because grace and faith are your special gifts for me in salvation. And you chose me by your grace. I don't understand that, Lord, at times. I don't understand why I utterly believe to the point where I would die for you and it's like others have just walked away from you. I don't get it, Lord, always. But Lord, what I do get is that the gift of righteousness is the greatest gift we've ever received. Thank you, Lord. What I do get, Lord, is that when I was lost in my world of pain, that you came and whispered in my ear and led me to salvation. That you saved me. And I pray that Willow Park Church, in all of our communities and our families, may continue to be a church that declares the great exchange. I have had the greatest exchange, Lord. My sins for your righteousness. The great exchange. It's not even an equal exchange. It's the great exchange. And may that knowledge cascade into my heart. And may it really resonate in my spirit. And may I be reminded every day this week of the great exchange. Just as we pause, maybe you have not had this great exchange but you would like it. This is a prayer I prayed to begin my journey. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for my sins. Exchange my sins for your righteousness. Forgive me for my sinfulness. I choose to give my life to you. And as you gave your life for me on the cross, I give my whole life to you now. As every head's bowed, and I'm sure the family are doing a little bit of personal thanksgiving, but you prayed that prayer to give your life to Jesus, to slip your hand up, Pastor, pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus right now. God bless you. God bless you. Salvation will come to you.
Anybody else downstairs? In the balcony. My eyesight's pretty good, so just slip your hand up. I'll be able to see you. Lord, thank you that you're touching hearts and lives with salvation. And I pray that you will continue to do this. In Jesus' name. Amen.